Hello and welcome to Albertland Throwers, the podcast of the Highland Games in Alberta and around the world. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Albertland Thrower. Today we have a special guest. So far we've had all our guests from Edmonton or Calgary. Now we're meeting somebody that's living halfway in between the two and that is Red Deer. And we're meeting today uh, Ben Arthur. Since you live in Red Deer, halfway between Calgary and Edmonton, are you a Stampeders fan or a Edmonton Football Club uh, fan? That's a great question. Uh, neither. What? You know, uh, well, I was born and raised in Scotland, right? And we don't really do the whole American football thing or Canadian football, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then the soccer teams here are just not on par. So I just kept cheering for my team back home. I hope that's okay. Uh, I, I think we'll forgive you. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're going to have to. We're going to have to. You have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, hockey, Flames or Oilers? Yeah, funny thing. Also, uh, we don't really have hockey in Scotland. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. do you like uh, the curling ring from Calgary more or the curling from Edmonton <laughs> more? How did you get into the Highland Games? Oh, so the culture is the biggest thing. I mean, obviously, they breed it into us in Scotland. So I've been in Canada now for 12 years and basically spent my whole childhood in Scotland. So I competed in the Highland Games as a as a teenager. Right. It's like it's like skating for Canadians here. You know, <laughs> right. when you're when you're in elementary school, they they take you skating for a few times during gym. Yeah. It's like that with the Highland Games. It's our cultural game. So when you're in gym class, they they teach you the two cultural things of Scotland. They teach you line dancing and Highland Games. You got to try both. Okay. And, I tried it. I loved it. I kept doing it for a while. And then when I moved to Canada, I let it drop because I moved to a smaller town in Alberta and they didn't have any festivals or anything. They certainly didn't have a Highland Games. But when I moved to Red Deer, that's when I picked it back up. Um, so Red Deer uh, Highland Games has a very, uh, I'm very fond of it because it was my first Highland Games. Um, it was when it was at the rugby pitch. So it holds a special place in, in my heart. That was the first time I attempted a, to pick and turn a caber. And uh, that was in front of a crowd. And it was a little nerve wracking and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, that was my um, baptism of fire, as it were. Um, tell us a little bit of the history of the Highland Games, the Highland Games in Red Deer. Yeah, the, the Red Deer Highland Games was started, it was in 1957 here mm-hmm. in uh, Alberta. 1957 or 1947? 47. Wow. So we've, we've been going for a long time. Uh, our 75th should be 2022. And that's, I mean, a great feat to get that far. The the games did, it's been around that whole time, but it has had its ups and downs. For the most part, we've always been partnered with Titans and, and them being able to provide the field kept the costs low and everything. And and then about eight, six or eight years ago, we moved over to the Westerner Park and our overhead got really big mm. with that. But we were able to take on more people. We found that, 
Titans could never hold the amount of people that the games brings to Red Deer because we are so well located. Right. We cover all of central Alberta. It's just a quick jaunt south for the guys in Edmonton and a quick jaunt north for the guys in Calgary. So we, we've always been, and the first games of the year in June. So it's always been very strategically small until it could no longer survive on that model we were right. we had too many people we were disappointing too many people because there was nowhere to park or you were rubbing elbows with everyone uh, so moving to westerner was one thing that we it, it was inevitable but that might be something that really troubles us here in the future because now we have all this extra equipment and all these extra costs and right, larger right. insurance and everything. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people who are very important to the Red Deer Helen games, and I a lot of these people it's families that that span multiple. They have you know, sons who are throwers and uh, mothers and daughters who are dancers and husbands who are P and D. They do piping and drumming. Right. And so these these families all kind of built the Highland Games and kept it going. And you it, So it, it sounds, takes, sounds like what you're saying is like the the love of the community um for the the festival um Scottish culture in general and and the crafts that they've worked at um together as a family is really what keeps the Highland Games in Red Deer going. It is. There's something for everyone. I mean, you've got your, say you take your typical family and the boys want to go and see the throwers and they want to hear and see the, the pipe band. They want to see the marching bands. You know, that's a big thing. Yeah. They want to hear the drums. They want to hear the pipes, the, your mothers and daughters, they want to see, they want to see the mass bands too. That's a massive spectacle, but right. They want to see the dancing and and the grace of the of the dancers, and so there's a little bit of something for everything. And then you throw in the cultural foods, and you throw in the fact that we serve booze. That's a big thing for some people. Yeah, you know, I know I've caught you in the beer tent once or twice. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. Come on, not me, not me. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a little bit of something for everyone. Everyone, and that's kind of what makes that festival such a big deal but it takes everyone to get it going you know and you have worked as an athletic director um for the red deer highland games tell me what's kind of involved with being an athletic director so as an athletic director for this games it is fairly straightforward i would love to say that it's really complex but <laughs> for red deer highland games one of our family ties is with uh, the the Alberta Scottish Athletic Association. So we have always been, had a great relationship with them, but one of their, I'm going to say directors, is related to one of our directors, and there's always been an easy relationship there. So we always bring in the Alberta Athletic Association. So they organize the what what a athletic director normally would do they they organize the times for the events they organize the groups into the events and that's something that those guys are really great at you've had megan on here so yeah uh, megan is great at that she handles all that handles the guys and and their fees which is something that that 
an athletic director would normally do. So what I do is basically represent at the the interests of the heavy events at the board meetings when we're plotting out our space in the field for each event. I'm the guy who gets the final decision on that's where heavies goes. Um, no bigger, no smaller, you know, when you come to the Red Deer Highland games and you may not enjoy it, but Hey, that's the rub. You will find that the heavies is always in the back corner. That's yeah. for two reasons. I can build safety zones so that the hammer always flies into a totally unoccupied area. And the heavies is a really big crowd draw and I'm making the crowd walk through everything else to get to us. Ah, so they have smart. to see the whole festival. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Well, I try and have one, one smart thought a month. And <laughs> uh, yeah, that, w- that was January 2016. So, Well, that's about uh, 12 smart thoughts more than I have in a year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as an athletic director, you're kind of responsible for um, well, the athletic uh, section of the Highland Games. I think a lot of people, um, competitors, when, particularly when they're first getting in, really think about that it's all about them, you know, that they're there, people are there to see them and, and they're not really aware of some of the things that the points of etiquette, as it were, um, as a thrower that we should have um, to uh, make things run smoother, to make your people like your jobs easier, the volunteers. And so Daniel McKim has written an article that we did a, a while ago called the Et- 10 etiquette tips for the Highland games. And it's a uh, uh, articles for the throwers to kind of get them to realize that uh, it's not just about you and your throwing. There's, there's a whole festival and we want to make it enjoyable for the fans. We want things to move um, smoothly and, and not have long delays and things like that. So he, he wrote a, a good list of etiquette tips and I wanted to go over that with you and then just, uh, get your comments on that. Dan McKim's, I mean, he's been around forever. He's a multiple time world champion thrower. He knows what he's talking about and also just a super humble and nice guy. And yeah. A guy that's a world champion. If anybody thought the hiding games would should be about them kind of a thing, it would be someone like him because I think he's a five-time world champion, multiple North American champion, uh, still holds the world record in the, the both hammers. And so he would be a guy that might have uh, an ego about the Highland games, but everybody that I've talked to says, no, he's totally not like that. He's, he's there for the fans. He's there to make the games as enjoyable for everyone as possible. He's one of those guys that just, I, I think is just genuinely too nice to brag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So, okay. So his first one, is to shag or pick up your own implements. At most competitions, you'll need to retrieve your own implements to throw. Now, if you got if you got willing group, they'll shag for two throwers in front of you, giving you time to rest and prepare for your throw while the person in front of you throws. In very few competitions, you will volunteers be scheduled to retrieve implements for you. Even in those instances, help them by meeting them halfway and making sure to thank them for their help each time. Yeah, man. So shagging implements is a big deal. And rookie throwers get super excited about their throws and forget to shag. And that's uh, 
it's one of those things that I guess it's not the end of the world, but it is a courtesy thing to the next guy. I'm a big fan. I'm not a big fan of shagging your own implements, but I am a big fan of shagging for one or two ahead. Mm -hmm. And that gives you some time to just settle down at the end. If you're really fortunate, really, really fortunate, and you make it to, say, the Canadian Championship in Calgary, you'll get some fool from Red Deer to come shag your implements for you. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, he'll do that happily for a free burger and uh, a T-shirt. And to watch the great throwers. And to watch some of the best throwers in Canada. Yeah, Yeah, I missed that part. (laughs) Yeah, um, so the next one, um, I think this has more to do with the weight over bar. Replace your weight. The next common courtesy goes in hand in hand with the first one. In the weight over a bar event, pick up your weight after you throw it and place it back under the bar. If it lands handle first or is covered in sloppy mud chunks, which happens quite regularly, clean it up for your competitor. Now, when you put it back under the bar, set it down. Don't drop it or throw it down. One of the worst things you can do is drop it and put a huge crater in the ground right where your competitor will be throwing from. Uh, this one again is pretty straightforward. Um, but guys get excited. Rookie, rookie guys get really excited. The amateurs are bad for it. Uh, we'll throw the weight over. And when it makes it over the bar, you're just so excited. You want to celebrate, you know, yeah. and a lot of the times, a lot of guys are really good at hyping up a crowd talking like Al McFarlane and, yeah. and, Terry Hunt, some of these guys get the crowd real fired up and and they're just cheering when you finally get it over. And then that's so anticlimactic when somebody yells at you, hey, shag your way. So, uh, yeah, one of those things you just learn as you're going. And Yes, so so that's good for the crowd, but it's also both of them help uh, keep the games running um, smoothly instead of having these leg moments in between throws and it just helps uh, speed everything up. So the crowd's not sitting there, you know, wondering what's going on. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing can slow an event down more than a guy who's already wrapped his wrist and already chalked up. And then he has to retrieve a, a muddy implement and clean it all up. So yeah, yeah. You just, just anything you can do to make it faster and keep the, keep the crowd entertained. Right. So number three, walk up to the, or sorry, walk up the caber. After you throw the caber, you'll need to retrieve it and walk it back for the next competitor. Keep in mind, you'll need two of you to do this. Always carry the caber with two people, not alone, as self-carries diminishes the caber in the eyes of the crowd. So each round, you'll have to serve two turns carrying the caber back and standing it up for your competitors. If you are the last person with your hands on the caber, do not let it go until the competitor is ready. Many people will say your caber or something else to signify they are letting it go. Again, don't let it go until you have confirmation from the thrower that you'll that they have it balanced and are in control of it. That's the jam, man. There's two things there. So the first one is, yeah, walk up the caber. Nobody will let you not walk up the caber. That's your job after you're done with it. So you pretty much always remember or you'll always get yelled at for that one or the other. Um, yeah, (laughs) which which I've had been yelled at about it. Yeah. So you get excited, man, like (laughs) turning the caber. That's the big thing for the crowd or or very disappointed or very disappointed. Yeah. (laughs) I always hand it to the guy and I say, have you got it? And then I make sure they say yes. 
The other thing is that uh, two people carrying the caber thing. This is the most common question that I get asked. And the answer is always 200 pounds. And it's not how much meat do you have to eat in a day to be a thrower? Um, or how much does that guy weigh? It's how much does that caber weigh? And I'll go, oof, easy 200, that one. Right. Yeah, obviously, it doesn't weigh that much, but nobody knows what it should weigh anyway. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's a big one. That's 200 pounds. 3,000 yeah. pounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one will believe that one. I had to bring it in on an excavator, but here goes, <laughs> yeah, here goes Justin with the turn. <laughs> with the turn. <laughs> okay. So no tack, tacky on handle. If the, in the wait for distance, there's a good divide of throwers who like to use tacky and those who don't. If you're like me, you like to use chalk on your hands. That said, if you use tacky, don't apply it to the handle directly. When it's your turn to throw, clean the handle with your towel and apply the tacky or spray to your hand or glove. Remember, these are community weights that we all must throw. So keep the tacky crusted handle reserved for your practice at home. Lots of associations don't allow tacky for the weights, mm. uh, especially on the weights. What they're talking about is like tackying your thumb for hook grip. Yeah. Yeah. So you can use it on your hand, get it on, get it on your thumb or whatever. And that's fine. But if you get it on the weight, then you're in trouble. Yeah. No, right. most people, most associations don't allow it. If you get tacky on the weight, then Be because the thing is every round is with one weight. So if, if we damage a weight we have, and, and that round is not complete, that means everybody in the group has not completed one throw with that exact weight. We have to restart the whole right. round. Right. So we have to keep them clean. We have to keep them in good service. We have to make sure they're always functioning. I had one, I mean, this is totally off topic, but I had one year where I was leading in the lightweight for distance and I was really happy and uh, the handle broke on the weight. Oh man! And so they threw out the whole round and that was where I had thrown my winning throw. Yeah, yeah. And then we threw again and I threw a pretty decent one. It was still a winning throw, but I was first in the round. And then it was uh, Justin McIntyre came out and inched me out. <laughs> Dirk, beat, yeah. by an, beat me by an inch. I was livid, man. Like, <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. You broke the weight and then you beat me because you broke the weight. That's <laughs> almost unfair, right? I, I, I think Justin uh, broke it on purpose. He probably I, like, sawed it a little bit. You know, he, he, he is a, a welder, so he'd know how to do these kind of things. And and I, yeah, that's my belief too, but I yeah, don't tell him I said that. <laughs> He'll win by hook or by crook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so number five. Bring it, don't borrow it. There will be times when you forget your tape, run out of tacky, or get your sunscreen spray compensated by the TSA. That's understandable. What is not understandable is when you show up every competition without any gear. Tacky, man, tacky. Anybody got any tacky? <laughs> you would have if you had gone to Home Depot before you came here. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it because... If you're buying tacky, it's expensive. I make my own because I I like it thinner. Okay. But if you're buying tacky, it's expensive. Lots of guys just don't it doesn't they don't consider to bring it. And that makes that's that's when I know that guy doesn't train very much. Right. It's always the guys who are 
they don't train a lot, but they show up and they see you using tacky and they go, Oh, maybe I should have some of that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the thing I forget the most um, personally is tape. I, it's not necessarily I forget it, but I just have like one little bit left or something. Yeah. And then, so I run out of it. That's my most common thing. I forget. All right. So number six, uh, sheaf forks. Once you decide you want to throw consistently in this great sports, buy a sheaf fork. Don't be the guy gal who borrows a fork and breaks it. I've seen this happen a few times and it's not pretty. And when it comes to fork borrowing, return it to the owner after you throw. And certainly don't put the tins in the ground or throw it in anger after a bad throw. Show respect for that fork and for the lender because you may get denied the use of it again. I've also seen this happen and it's not pretty. Yeah. I mean, most guys... Most guys have, will happily loan out their fork. When you say you throw in Alberta, there's maybe two games in all of Alberta where they have sheaf. Mm-hmm. That'd be Calgary and Canmore mostly. Right. And so owning one is not absolutely necessary, but I get it if you're in a place where they have a lot of sheaf. Borrowing it is is fine, but you have to be respectful and the tines never go in the ground. That's not what they're for. Right. Because you want that, you want them polished, right? The tines, you want the least amount of friction possible so yeah. that this sheaf comes off there smooth. So right. guys, guys sit there and polish their tines and everything, and then you're going to get dirt all over them. Right. It's, it's, it's strictly just disrespectful. And, and that would be exactly what would happen if you, if you broke somebody's fork or if you were disrespectful with it, you probably wouldn't be allowed to use it again. Right. Like, uh, and that's a, goes for anything you may borrow from somebody. Um, if it's tacky and it's in a jar, don't kind of throw the tacky on the ground with the lid open or so it oozes out or something along those lines. It's just, if somebody is nice enough to show, uh, give you something, treat it with respect and, and, uh, All right, so number seven, hammer handles. Again, you're throwing in a community implement with a light and heavy hammer. When you retrieve a hammer for yourself or your competitor, don't drop the handle in the grass or drag it in the dirt. It'll even go to the extreme of not wiping it down with your towel, towel, as that can leave little fuzzies all over the handle. Remember that you don't need a ton of tacky during competition because every one of your competitors is putting tacky on the handle. Tacky is great until it's not. Like I've lost more hammers because of too much tacky. And by lost, I mean release them when I didn't want to. Yeah. Because the tacky, it it allows you to keep a firm grasp of the handle without having to kind of clamp down on it with your hands right it'd just be the tack keeping it in your hands and that way you can release all those muscles elongate your arms and and your shoulders and you should be able to get as big an arc as possible because you can you can very loosely hold your arms hold everything out but uh a guy tries to do that and there's too much tacky on the handle and it just leaves your hand and that's how we have blowouts and stuff. Right. I take it a bit further too is when I'm bringing back the the hammer for somebody, let's say, I'll, as I'm going, we'll pick off some of the grass because the handles get sticky. And if it lands in the grass, which obviously we're throwing in the grass, 
sometimes uh, grass will uh, stick to the handle and, and that makes it harder to grip onto because now instead of attack, you have the grass. And so I, I'll try to pick that off or, you know, j- just try to make things nicer for your next competitor. Yeah. I mean, there's a big overwhelming theme here as an overriding theme that Dan is just basically saying, be nice to people, be respectful. That, that's, that's what I'm seeing so far. Right. If, you, if you're borrowing something, you be respectful. If it's not because even the implements, you are borrowing that implement. It belongs to someone. Right. It's right. just, just be respectful so far. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so some things that are uh, seem common sense, but people seem to forget them all the time. So here's one thing that I had to learn. I didn't do this very well at first, but I'm better at it now is number eight. So the crowd. Now the crowd watching you may be as big as a few thousand down to just your wife and a random homeless guy who lives at the park. Regardless of the number, show them appreciation and answer their questions. When you waddle out in your hammer boots and blades, they will ask you about them. Remember, they paid to come watch you and are a big reason you have the avenue to do this sport. As many competitions, I'll pick some time to just sit in the crowd between throws. People seem to love this. And many times I've just absorbed the whole fan base for the rest of the event. Wave, clap for them, and be sure to thank them for coming to watch. You may also be asked to take pictures with families and especially children. Soak it up. What a joy it is. Yeah, man, the, the crowd is everything. They're, they're the guys. So if you're fortunate enough to win prize money, most of us don't do it for the prize money. If <laughs> you're fortunate enough to win prize money, that is those people's hard-earned money that is going to you for having a good day on the field. And they, they came to see you do that. Honestly, these guys who are great at working a crowd are they know how important that crowd is to them. It's not, it's not just showing off. It's not, it's nothing, it's nothing uh, personal for them. It's the more we can hype up the crowd, the more they're enjoying themselves, the more that come out next time, but not just that, like the more energy they create. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but the biggest crowd I've ever thrown in front of is at the Canmore Games. Almost every year, they they have more and more people. And we had thousands of people sitting in the crowd one year, and we were all taking turns on the microphone, and, and the energy was amazing. Right. And you draw that, you soak that up. You don't yep. realize how much that crowd really adds to your energy for the day. It's it's one of those things that they can drive a really good day and all you have to do is feed them just a little bit of energy and what they give you back is tenfold. Right. And even if it's just that one homeless guy and and, and your wife, like if they're there to support you, then you support them too by giving them a good show. Right. And and I find I, I end up, uh, enjoying myself if i'm too serious you know i i don't have as good of a time myself too and and uh but if i'm interacting with the crowd and and having fun and yeah i've had times where people wanted their pictures taken with their kids and and all this kind of stuff and it's a lot of fun 
That's why at the Red Deer Highland Games, we always, always, always have a kids event. As long yeah. as I've been athletic director or on the board of the Red Deer Highland Games, we have a kids event. Every year I go out in early May and I harvest a new kids caber mm. and we bring them to the games. And now I've got like six in my backyard because my son wants <laughs> to keep them all. But right. <laughs> uh, I bring these kids cabers in. I and I do exactly what I do with adult cabers. I I shave them all. I peel them all. I sand them all. I round the edges and I give the kids this real caber that right. they that is their size that they can try and i bring in a fresh stone right out of the red deer river so mm. I, but i wash it before i give it to the kids because we <laughs> all know the red deer river is not the cleanest thing going um and and i let them have this event and the guys love it they love helping the kids the kids love it because they get to hang out with these giants because we are giants. We don't realize how big we are, right? But we are, we're all very big people. Even Glenn Hay is, he's not the biggest guy, but he's a giant compared to these kids, right? Right. And they just love it, like that we would pay attention to them and, and they get to come onto the field and they get to try the implements. Man, it's just super cool. The right. crowd is the biggest thing. And those kids, like, let them try it and, and then, and then they want to stay. All right, number nine. And this is pet peeve of his, and this kind of is of mine. Cleanup. One of my greatest pet peeves is the litter we competitors leave on the field, especially tape. I get it. We use tons of tape in the weekend of competition, or we shouldn't be taking it off our fingers or our wrists and throwing it on the ground in small bits. Make sure you police your area and clean up after your Gatorade bottles, tape, little Debbie wrappers or whatever else you have. Again, these volunteers and directors have sacrificed a lot of time to let you compete and have some decency and clean up after yourself. Okay. So a couple of things, uh, the little Debbie sponsorship is new. He wrote this way before he was sponsored by little Debbie. He just he loves just, little Debbie. He just loves little Debbie's man. <laughs> and, and I'm right there with him like cheat day once a week and I'm eating little Debbie's. I guarantee you like <laughs> right now they got these love heart cakes. out. anyway, I, di I digress. Um, Maybe we'll get sponsored by little Debbie's if we keep talking this way. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So cleanup, man, that's really important to me. However, most of our traveling circus is with the athletic association. Yeah. Right. And Megan, all, all of all the people that Megan gets in to help out with the games, very respectful. Megan does a great job. She makes sure everything is cleaned up. I'm yeah. talking, if you go to another event and you're a thrower at another event, you basically show up, throw, and leave. If you're throwing for the association, there are expectations. Now, you're not paying a lot to throw, but the expectation is in everything else you're going to show up you're going to throw but you're also going to help set up a tent you're going to help set up the garbages you have to clean up you have to pull tape for someone you have to volunteer a couple times you know it's so we don't see that a lot here and another thing that um for me too that i think about that i don't think a lot of people think about is you, you often have uh you know amateur photographers or whatever in the crowd taking pictures or videos of it and it just makes it look better when it's a nice clean field that the pictures are taken from instead of like a 
kind of a junk pile, you know, who, who wants to to put a picture of their time at the Highland Games on the Instagram or whatever, and the field's littered with tape or bottles or whatever else. Yeah, man, it's down to this. Like, we have 48 hours before the event, we schedule the grass to get cut. Mm. Like, it, everything is so purposeful. And, and yeah, I, I don't have any problem with, with the cleanup. That's something that most guys are really great at. And if they're not, there's always somebody who will go around and pick up all the little bits of whatever that's left. All right, number 10 and last one. Uh, say thanks. Highland Games just or don't just happen. It takes months of planning and organizing by people and committees and throwers and wait for it, even bagpipers. Be sure to thank the athletic director for his or her work on the event. And don't forget all the volunteers that make it happen from shakers to scorekeepers, runners, and even security. It takes a whole bunch of people to pull this thing off. And of course, don't forget the sponsors. If you get the pleasure of meeting a sponsor, drop what you're doing, shake their hand and thank them for making this event possible. If you're a pro, realize they are the ones giving money so that you can win some. For any uh, thrower at any level, simple thanks can go a long way. That's one thing that people are not very good at. Uh, if I am honest, most people, when they're done, they talk about how great they performed or how poorly they performed and they kind of just go about their day they want to get to the beer tent or they want to do something um right our pros are the guys who are pros and and the guys who have been around for a long time like yourself um if i bring someone over to the tent they, i do what we call i tangle with the gray hairs which means <laughs> All of our senior members of the board and all of our life members, which means they served on the board for 10 years, um, they all, I converse with them all. I give them tours of the games. I, and if I'm bringing someone by the tent, it probably means they're a pretty special person to the games. Right. And mostly everyone knows i mean some guys are really wrapped up in what they're doing and you don't dare get in the stop someone when they're on their way to the hammer or when they're gonna go take a caber but normally we'll just bring them by the tent and if we bring someone by the tent they're probably a pretty special person and and that's when you have to realize you say hello at right. very least but thanks for everything you know yeah you, you don't want to give it's, these people a cold shoulder <laughs> Right. Yeah. They, because without these people who built the games, without these people who sponsored the games, without these people who did all this work in 1947, there wouldn't be a Red Deer Highland Games. Right, and right. so thank you is very important to the people who are doing it now. Our board is woefully understaffed mm. and we're having a really hard time getting people to volunteer for the games. It just doesn't happen. People, people, they want to be involved on game day, but for the months and months it takes to plan this event, it's very hard to get people to commit to actually helping. And so if I can, if you want to say thank you in any way, the biggest way you can do it is to go out and volunteer beforehand or volunteer afterwards. Um, it's just, there's so much work to do and not that many people who are willing to do it. 
And so for those special people and very special people it takes to put these games on, thank you could literally make their day. And, and to uh, kind of take things full circle, um, we talked about how the Red Deer games has stayed alive for so long because of people's love of the festival, the culture and, and the events and the competitiveness and the fun of it. Be one of those people. Be be a person if if you're able to to that because you love throwing. Um, most people listening to my podcast are throwers. Figure out how you can even volunteer. Not maybe not a, at a board level, but maybe as a setup level, or maybe uh, just contact the the boards or the the associations or whatnot and see how you can get involved and just to make that job a little bit easier for everybody and and keep this going in this uh festival that that we all love yeah it's as simple as that man i mean it doesn't if you don't have time to give we don't need your time uh give us a reference you know awesome well uh we'll call this a wrap at this point uh thank you so much ben for being on my podcast hey thanks for having me you know long time listener first time caller so it's been great <laughs> all right man uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll check you on the field hopefully uh red deer will go on but we'll be uh, ready for it all right see you later all right man thanks no problem bye